This is Advanced Listening. The podcast that takes up three goddamn parking spaces. The podcast that doesn't give a fuck you're moving. The podcast that beat your dad up. With your hosts, Nooch and Orion. Steve? Steve. Get him. Come down, Shaq. Feel alright. And I'll fuck you, Steve. I'll punch you in the fucking face. I am singing Billy Goddamn Idol. It makes me feel alright. So good. Hey, fuck you, Steve. So good. So good. I'm fine. Take my goddamn music away, you shit. Yeah. Hey, oh, Orion, son of a bitch, we've been we've been live for like almost a minute and a half. What are you doing? Listening to Billy Idol, and it makes oh, me feel well. all right now. Bow. I mean, bow, bow. yeah, okay. Moly okay, moly, so, baby. Hey, did you know I, that White Wedding isn't about a fucking wedding? It's about cocaine? Actually, I didn't. I did not know that. I didn't either until I played it at my wedding. And my dad felt the need to come over and say, you know, this song's about cocaine, right? And I was like, wait, what? I feel like, I feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like you also should have played that song by Meatloaf, where it's like, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you. <laughs> Is that song about cocaine too? No, it's just I highly want you, I need you, but I cannot love you. Sounds like a yeah, relationship somebody has with cocaine. I was just thinking it seems super inappropriate for a wedding. Oh, yeah. No, my favorite inappropriate wedding song is is also a meatloaf song. And it's, I would do anything for love, but I won't do dishes. No, <laughs> no, I won't do that. Hey, Orion. Hey, me. So I'm super pumped, right? Are you now? Uh let me let me ask you a question. Are you ready for a question? I am ready for a question. Okay, what week is it, Orion? It's Monday week. Woo! I didn't I didn't expect you to say it like a uh, like a random party guy at a beach. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Now say it like a guy at a party who just realized his car got stolen. Hey, hey, it's Monday week. No, it's Monday week. Wait, 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 wait. Now say it like a doctor that has got to present some bad news to a family about their distant Uncle Steve. I'm afraid that it is mud vein week. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Now say it like an angry judge that is uh, releasing a case because the trial's been tampered with. 
You, sir, are 100% mud vein. But due to the mud vein of this mud vein, we can no longer mud vein. I am calling this mud vein a mud vein. It is mud vein week. That, that was good, man. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> you were, you were totally... One. Now, now you, you do one. Mud. Now, you do one. Yeah. Say mud yeah. vein. It says mud vein week in the stylings of a geek who just got... His favorite is video game all-time remade and, and put on a, a bigger, better, even better platform, and it's super awesome. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but the specs on this Mudbane are about 10 times as Mudbane as the last Mudbane, and I personally am more Mudbane than the rest of the Mudbane. That makes sense. That makes sense. Was it, I loved was that. it good? That was good. Was it good? That was good. All right, cool. So it's Mudbane week. It, wait, wait, wait. What week is it again? What are we doing? It's my pain week. I'm sorry I'm so sweaty, by the way. <laughs> Why are you sweaty, dude? I can see the, the amount of sheen coming off of your forehead. Like, we don't need makeup because we're not, you know doing it video. but but why are you so goddamn sweaty? Would you believe me if I just said I was watching cops? No, but I would believe you if I if you said you were running from cops. <laughs> no honestly like real talk though i am super pumped right now i woke up i had a whole bunch of caffeine um <laughs> which which uh I'm, normally with this podcast bro i will drink beer with you but today um i'm honoring <laughs> the, um the pure adrenaline that is mudbane i typically go coffee mm, with a splash of kalua nice on a uh, record so day before we get into it, there's something I want to point out, and I'm pretty sure you're smoking out of it right now, so that's why I'm going to point out. No, 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 no. We that both... was Barry Bonds. Oh. Well, didn't we both get new pieces yesterday? Yeah, yeah. You got a new bong. I got a new pipe. Tell me about your pipe, dude. Well, she's a big bitch. She's a double, she's a double blown inside out with a hint of pink. And green inlay. Uh, it's really fucking cool looking. It's heavy as fuck. And it hits like a goddamn beast. So I was sitting there thinking about it. And I'm I'm a weirdo, I guess. I don't know. We were having this discussion the other day. And you were telling me about how when you name something, it gives it power, right? Yes. It is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old Japanese... Uh, I don't, I don't want to call it a... I don't know what to call it, but it's an old Japanese saying where they believe that once you name something, you give it life, and giving something life bestows it with power. And so whenever you name something, like us stupid stoners naming their, their pipes and bongs, I think you should actually put some thought into it. So what did you land on? Well, because she's a thick bitch, and she hits like a goddamn Mack truck, I was thinking... There's a, a UFC fighter. Her name is Ioana Janjajek. She's one of my favoriteest fighters of all time. She's amazing. She's this 115-pound Polish kickboxer that you know that she's so good from knocking out Polish dudes who are getting a little handsy and creepy with her. You know what I mean? She's smoking hot. So I figured this pipe hits so hard, it's like a 115-pound girl hitting a 200-pound man and knocking her the fuck out. So... I name my pipe Yoana Young Pipe Check. Dude. Yeah, Dude, that's fucking... I, I got it. I, I got the reference. It's it's actually pretty brilliant. And once again, 
I actually like the name because it, yeah, you know, with what we just said about the whole uh, bestowing it with life and power and stuff like that, the name that you chose seems incredibly powerful. And even if you didn't know that was like some kind of Polish fucking kickboxer, it still sounds like the name of like a babushka type woman, like with the thing wrapped around her head that weighs fucking yeah. 300 pounds, not to be fucked with. Like it still not comes to off. to be fucked that. with. Yeah, you know what else is this pipe is a it's a big fat boy pipe, you know what I mean? So it yeah. kind of looks like a big babushka lady from Eastern Europe. <laughs> I'm into it. Um, what so I ended you, up with, What did you yeah. name? You didn't get a pipe, though, did you? No, I did not. I got a bong. You got bong. What did you name your bong? A little bit of a backstory. Um, my favorite kind of bongs are just clear. I don't. It's not that I don't like bongs that are colored and have designs on them, but my favorite thing about a water pipe, about a bong, is seeing uh, the crystal clear water and that white smoke on top of your clean white glass. Like it, it just makes me. It makes me really happy, right? Like it's all very crystally and clear and pure. Um, the type of bong that I got looks like a beaker, like a almost like a science lab. Yeah, right? yeah I know what a beaker is. You mean and, like, and the, a, like a beaker, not like beaker Bunsen burner beaker. Yeah, yeah, no, not like no, yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's it looks like a science tool. And so the first thing that came to my mind was that scene in Breaking Bad where Walter White breaks into the science lab in the school. It's like the second episode. And he steals like all that fucking science equipment so that he can properly cook his meth, right? Mm, mm, mm. Um, And I look at this and I immediately named it Walter Whitewater. Walter Whitewater? I like that. Yep. That is my, that is my. (laughs) So (laughs) we've spent 10 fucking minutes talking about everything but Mudbane. No, that's not true. Uh, uh, two minutes were spent trying to not punch Steve in the fucking face and turning off my fucking music. Uh, no. And then, and then fucking two minutes were spent with the Mudvayne gag about how can you say Mudvayne in a different way? And then hey, we did about six minutes on pipes. Let's, let's be clear. That two minutes was not... Steve taking your music away, you son of a bitch. That two yes, minutes. It was. Yes, it was. It absolutely was. was. We had a schedule to keep, and you, we went live, and you were running around your side of the studio screaming, playing air guitar with that fucking dust broom, and Steve did his job. For this one time, I'm actually on Steve's side. No, Steve deserved to be beaten about the neck and facial region with large sticks. <laughs> So do you want to talk about Mudvayne today or not? <laughs> no, not at all. I would much rather save Mudvayne for next week. So that's no. the podcast. Thanks for coming out, everybody. You have a great night. Bye-bye now. And that is how you advance your procrastinating. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about Mudvayne. Do you want to start at yeah. the end of things to come no. or the beginning of things yet to end? There it is. That and you know what? That actually, there was another name that that album went by, which is technically there. See, most people will refer to Mudbane's first studio album as LD Fifty, right? And, they would and be wh- wrong. They, no, well, they, chronologically they're right because LD Fifty did come out first, right? Eh. But they had these older songs, right, right. from before LD, from when they were in their demo stage, and yeah, that yeah. is. 
Say the name of that album again. The beginning of things yet to end. How do you jump into that one? Do you want to jump on that one or go to LD50? Because I honestly, my take on this on this opening album is is short and kind of sweet. Yeah, uh, there are there. Are, it, it is a demo album for all intents and purposes. It is a demo album. Um, it's an EP. I wouldn't even really classify it as an album. It's an EP. But there are things on that album worth listening to. Cultivate is an amazing song. They've got live versions of a few other songs that, like, Idiot is the song they still play live. And they have a live version of Idiot on uh, Beginning of Things to End. Beginning of Things Yet to End reminds me of Opiate. Because it's got... Like older demo track stuff and then live stuff that you're not getting a album version, so to say, on any other place. Now, for those that don't know, uh, Mudvayne is a early 2000s band, late 90s, early 2000s band. Uh, metal, of course, that's kind of what we tiptoe around here. Um, but I like to give them the title of one of the juggernauts of their fucking industry. And today, I definitely think that we will uh, uncover some of the reasons why that I, I feel that they're the powerhouse that they are, you know? And an for inc- me, they're an incredibly impactful band for only being around for about a decade. Right. And it's weird because whenever you get into LD50, which I'm not going to skip over my take on this last album, but when you get into LD50, is it just me or does something about it feel very 1996? No, that's just you. Is that just me? Yeah, it feels very 99 to me, but I wouldn't say 96. Because whenever I listen to it, I just can't help, and I'm not making any kind of comparison. I'm just talking about the way it makes me feel. I feel similar to, like, self-titled Slipknot. Oh, well, that is 99, isn't it? Yeah, it is 99. Or say, like, I could give you about four albums. Like the first Lamb of God album, the fucking self-titled Slipknot album, Mudvayne's LD50. All these albums kind of came around 1999 in an era when music had just turned into this landscape of pop, vomited bullshit with sprinkle uh, with with fucking glitter sprinkled into the vomit. So it looks pretty. You know what I mean? Yeah, you put you can put polish on a piece of shit, but it's still a piece of shit. It's still vomit with just glitter in it. It's just glitter flavored vomit. That's all that is. Um, you know, and then you get bands like Fear Factory, Lamb of God, Mudvayne, System of a Down, Static X. All these bands kind of come out around 98-99 and they were all direct responses to the pop bubblegum bullshit landscape of music and they were angrier heavier there's a lot of like chug to 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 the mudvayne uh uh, ld50 album there's a lot of chug to that album and and i think that the progression between uh the beginning of all things to end or whatever um the the progress between that and ld50 to me it's really about they figured out their direction right? right which i think first album they already knew what they wanted to be it just wasn't refined i did and then my my take on the first album is radically different from yours but what is your, well, before we get too far into the, the the ld50 weeds give me your take on uh the beginning 
that's that's actually what I was that's what I was getting at is I feel like they're they know what they want to sound like but they haven't quite figured it out yet and there is a very important uh part missing from the band and you know who it is you know what it is mm. and they remedy that in LD50 so my my take on the very first album is it's raw it's pretty real it's very raw but, it, but it's it's definitely Mudbane as a garage band you know as a as a as a high end garage band, uh, yeah. All right, I'll give you that. Although cultivate, I cannot, I cannot un, uh, 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 understate this enough. Cultivate is a fucking banger. That is a killer song, and I've never seen them play it live. As far as I know, they've never played it live. It is. Ah, I remember the. Uh... The in the beginning of all things to end or whatever it was called, kill Iota. That was kill that was, Iota. Uh, the, yeah, that was, that was the, the original EP version of that, the demo EP version of that, that yeah, album. Yeah, yeah. And then, they, they, uh, then sometime around the end of things to come, they released it as a uh, 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 re-released it as the beginning of things to end, and then they add like there's a couple of dig. Uh, 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 like techno remixes i guess yeah you know and i think mudbane does that almost more than any other band they love revisiting their old songs and putting them on uh compilation albums and shit they really enjoy doing that i think i think they're also they also enjoy demoing when they're making an album i think they go through songs and they demo it and then they're not afraid to experiment and kind of play with it and move shit around and maybe we do this here and maybe we take that bit out there because when you listen to uh, because they have an album called For the People, By the People, which is basically just demo tracks. It's a greatest hits album with demos instead of the actual versions of the songs. And you can hear, in a lot of those, you can hear the evolution of the song from where it is in the demo track to where it becomes on the album. And some of them fall into sleep specifically. The demo version is the considerably better version. And they tone that version down, they uncomplicate it, and they soften it up a little bit so they can release it as a radio single. Because let's be clear about one thing since day one about Mudvayne. I don't want to hear anybody talking about how they started making radio hits. They started They've making radio hits. Done that. Always done that. Always. Now, given... Before they, I think that they, as they progressed in their career and they became all, they all got better. Let's be honest. They all got better at what they do. Um, I think as they got better, they were more comfortable making the more uh, easy listening, I guess, releases. So there are a few more of them as you progress through their career. Yeah. But I think it's important to acknowledge that that's been a part of the formula since day one. It has been a part of the formula, but what, what I feel like, where people aren't getting it and they and so they 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 hear the difference between end of things ld50 and say like a new game um you can hear the difference and if you don't know what you're listening to i can see why it would be easy to revert to saying oh well they're just making radio singles here right but i think the difference isn't necessarily the creation of radio singles because it's something they've always done i think the difference right. is they used to be anti-structure right right it, it, right has has this thing there is no structure to early mudvayne most songs go by this they go by this structure of interlude or excuse me intro right verse chorus verse chorus bridge interlude chorus chorus outro right 
Right. Mudvayne has traditionally skirted those fucking structures. Yeah. And no, on the Mud- new game, that new game album specifically, there is a lot of songs that fall into that traditional rock song structure. And we'll get to that. Right now, I wanna I wanna jump back and 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 really break down a quick breakdown of LD50 and then move in to the end of all things to come, right? Um LD50 for me, real quick, which by the way is their official first studio album that came out in 2000. Yes. Um, LD50 for me used to be, I don't know, I, I will still call it quintessential Mudvayne, right? But after going back and listening to it recently, cover to cover, I will say this. Um, I think a lot of the, I think that they got stuck in a box on this album right not in a traditional box right not in the in the uh the type of box that they're in on the new game but they found this sound this experimental thing that they're doing and i think that there's a few songs that stick to that formula so hard that they get muddled together okay i disagree and i'll tell you why i think what we are used to hearing what we've been programmed as music listeners to hear is guitar driven metal LD50 is not guitar driven at fuck. No, it's it's all. it's it's vocal and drums driven like all the way. Yeah, the drums and the bass, the bass guitar is the lead instrument. The drums are the lead instrument, you know what I mean? Oh wait, LD50, I'm so sorry. I I was not acknowledging the bass because I was still stuck on uh Kill Iota. Yeah, so real quick, I'm sorry to cut you off, but an LD50 is whenever they added uh, a bass player whose name we've been butchering for months. Um, it's decades. Ryan decades. I've been calling him Ryan Maritini, uh, which is honestly what I thought his name was too, but it's actually pronounced Martini like the drink. But anyway, Listen, uh, that's when of all, they- I am dyslexic. I have never heard his name actually said. Not like fake dyslexic because I just can't read, but like actually dyslexic, like diagnosed dyslexic, right? And I've never heard his name pronounced. So you'll have to excuse the fuck out of me for calling him Ryan Maritini since goddamn 2000. Okay? Plus, plus, if I were to have seen the drink, Martini, I may have pronounced it Maritini. I would have looked at the goddamn waiter and been like, oh, I want to try one of these Maritinis. They look delicious. Well, well, and then LD50. he would have looked at me and been like, "Bitch, are you in the right place? Do you are you supposed to be like watched by trained professionals of the mental health did variety? You, did, did you leave your helmet at home, sir? Have you been taking your medication as prescribed by your mental health official? No, you haven't. No, fuck no, I haven't. Um, all right." But LD50, yeah, but uh, look, we—I feel like we've been programmed to 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 listen to metal and rock and roll as gu- guitar-driven mediums, right? And the thing with LD50 is it's not guitar-driven at all. The guitar is a no. background ambiance. The way you would typically think of a bass guitar is how they play the the the, the guitar in that fucking album, right? The guitar is not in the foreground at and, all. And- and the best example of that is the intro to Dig. I'm not saying that's the only one, but it's... 
it's a popular song that a lot of people, if you've ever heard a Mudvayne song, you've you've probably heard. Well, no, now that time has gone by, we'll get to that. But most people have heard Dig, and Dig is such a good example of Ryan Martini taking control mm. of the sound. I almost just corrected you just now. Yep. Almost, I almost. I, I, I was about to come in and say Maritini. Yeah, but he does. He takes control, and there's a different sound. And I, I think that LD50, uh, the the amount of evolution between Kill Iota and LD50 is is leaps and bounds. Right. There's a thing. There's a few things that I need to mention. One, negative one, stands out as one of the few songs on LD50 that that really sh- probably should have been on the end of all things to come. Okay. And, and the other thing is there is a handful, like, I get what you're saying, where the, the songs start kind of blending. And I think that's just because of the guitar or the lack thereof. And the, 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 the like, I cannot come up with a better word to describe the way that the drums and bass interplay on this album, other than driving and chugging. There is a, yeah. a, a imagine a 1970s 454 Chevelle SS, just an unkempt American big block V8. That's kind of the way that the bass and the drums act on this album. It's just this, you know what I mean? It's driving, and and songs like uh, "Everything and Nothing" and "No Forever or Ever," depending on how you want to pronounce it, because of the uh, well, uh, wait, uh, yeah. now, n- now or known now and forever, however you want to say it. Uh, known that is forever the- now or ever. There you go. However you want to say it. Um, by the way, they use brackets in this, so they make yeah, it a little it's, weird. It's a really, it's a really clever wordplay when you're looking I, at it. I want you to know that even though I had some slightly negative words to say about this album, I got to point some shit out. You pointed out negative one, right? And I'm not just dropping tracks for the sake of dropping name tracks, right? But there are some some goddamn just lifelong that's why i said this quintessential mud vein dude is on this album of course you got dig but we can look past that because that's you know everybody knows that one right fucking eternal primates forever yeah i know that's jam by the way i have a quick 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 story about eternal primates forever the first time i saw mud vein live they played that song at half speed and you know that's rare right you know they don't play that song live very often that's funny because i've seen them live three times i've seen that long song live twice i've seen them live twice and i've never seen that song live they played the first time i saw them they played eternal primates forever and they played it which is this only they played it at fucking half speed right and so when the way the way ryan martini there it is comes out with his bass it was just this it was so thick and muddy and it like being stuck in quicksand that you just could not get out of and the harder you fought to get out of this bass line the more it sucked you in it was unfucking real. Um, I, I, he actually, Chad showed up in a bear suit, by the way. That's outstanding. Can yeah, we bring he up the fact been... that this band used to be a lot more visually interesting? Like, they used to yes. wear weird makeup and, and, and kind of, uh, uh, 
you know, like like braid their goatees down to their fucking knees. And Ryan Mar- Martini used to do this thing where he had he would take his hair, would shave his head, except for two bits that he would turn into devil horns. And, yes. Like the makeup they used to employ was gangster. Yes, uh, especially I remember them showing up to the VMAs one year, and it was oh. the first time. It was the first the time you suits. saw. Yeah, it's the first time you saw them without their actual makeup on, but they all had like movie quality. Do not underestimate the quality here. Movie quality gunshot wounds to the head, and they were all yeah, wearing cream white. Yeah, white tuxedos with blood splatter on them, and they all had blood running down their faces with a giant bullet wound in their head. That, that and that was the first time. profile pick for fucking ever. It was the first time they showed their, quote, faces in public, and I lost my shit. I, I want to say I was like 15 or, no, I was like 16 or 17 when that happened. Dude, I lost my fucking mind. You like, want to hear some shit? That picture? Yeah. The picture of the four of them has been the 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 picture on my Twitter profile forever, right? And about a year yeah. ago, I got a about a year ago, some fucking some fucking little crybaby started whining about some fucking tweet that I had made. This is in 2019. They're bitching about a tweet I made in 20 fucking 14, right? And okay. Then I got banned for a week came back and then Twitter like the day I got back on Twitter Twitter banned me for life for the Twitter profile I've had since I started my Twitter account wow which is a you picture know, of Bloodbang with bullet holes in their head so, dude yeah. I don't think I've ever heard this story by the way I knew you got kicked off of Twitter but we've never talked about this yeah I I, I, I told uh, uh, who did I said could fucking die slow oh oh Ted Cruz the Senator Ted Cruz was trying to like outlaw dildos, right? And so a bunch wait. of Texas uh, 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 students from Texas, university students from Texas, started like strapping dildos to their backpacks in in protest of Ted Cruz's monstrous yeah, yeah. ideas. And I, the dildos. Yeah, and so basically, my my tweet was, you know, people who don't like dildos probably secretly think dildos are delicious. Die slow, Ted Cruz. Hey, let me, let me let me ask you something real quick. If they made dildos illegal, does that mean M Shadows would go to jail? Probably. Um, okay. <laughs> so would Bono. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie Vedder. Dildos have been made illegal now. You have to go to jail. You better look out, Fred Durst. They're coming for you, bro. They're coming for you in your red hat. <laughs> Yankees aren't red, they're blue, you dick. Okay. Yeah, right, anyway, right, right. so the, Twitter said if I took down the post, they would they would leave me alone, right? So I took I said, fine. I took it down and immediately put it right back up. And then I got suspended and then came back and they were like, Well, you have to delete this post and you can come back. So I deleted the post, immediately put it up. But before I could retweet the post as I was typing it out. During the time it took me to retype that post out and, and and hit retweet, it said my account was suspended. And then I got an email saying it was suspended for the bullet hole wound picture ahead of Mudvayne since, you know, I started my Twitter account like in 2013 or some shit. I just don't see how that violates any kind of uh, because yeah, it's kind of quote sensitive material, but there, it's makeup, it, it's movie makeup. Is it there sensitive are, no. material, or are you too sensitive of a material? 
if you wanted to be a fucking bag about it, yes, it's sensitive material because there's fucking blood running down the face of these guys, right? But if we're gonna be real about it, let's t- let's let's get like serious about this. How many um, special effect artists do you think have a Twitter account? How many of them do you think yeah, share right? the cool shit that they do and chopping off arms and people that work in the horror industry and shit like that? Are they not allowed to show their fucking craft because it's offensive? No, they're totally doing that shit all the time. Wait, because minute, it's wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop, stop, stop. They let you have fucking porn on Twitter. Like straight up porn. Well, technically, no. If you were to be an asshole and and uh and uh really what because if you no. want, you could just have a feed of nothing but porn all day, every day, and it would be full up. Until someone cries, <laughs> bitches, moans, and complains because their fucking delicate little feelings were hurt. Yes. So it's like it's Suck like it Twitter, up, Buttercup. You live in the Twitter. real world. Twitter is the babysitter that's actually taking a nap after they smoked a few bowls, but they'll do something whenever one of the shitty little kids comes and wakes them up and tells on Tommy. I have a question. Yeah. Would you prefer a Wild West completely open, no rules, no regulations, just nothing illegal, right? Can't put up kitty porn or some shit like okay, that. Okay, so but yeah. say whatever you want, post whatever you want as long as it's legal. Have at it, Haas. No snuff films, things like that, right? Or the mommy nanny monitoring services that Twitter <laughs> offers now. Is this a rhetorical question? No, because look, I, I, I mean, I immediately I want to <laughs> say Wild Wild West Twitter, right? But then you think about it, that is a lot. Like, uh, I can't well, see now, you're now with the amount of obnoxious bullshit that happens on it. If you're Can talking you imagine about- inserting on top of that, like, a, a fucking massive heap load of racism and, and see, wait, misogynistic that's, bullshit? That's called Reddit. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's Reddit. It's for basically the Wild West of the internet, as long as it's not illegal. You know what I mean? Um, and there, there is fucking, there's, there's crazies on any side you've ever wanted to represent. You know what I mean? Like there is that person to the extreme, you know, but that's the fucking internet. Hey, so well, now I, I kind of want to go on Reddit and get into arguments with cops. Oh, just don't do it, man. It's a fucking rabbit holy. You'll never come back. Advanced listening will be a one man show if you get on Reddit. God damn it. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Look, we admittedly have been wandering around in the weeds for yeah 25 yeah. minutes of a uh, of this segment and, i think we and, went uh, off the rails just a bit what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna come back with more mudbang and we're gonna start off with end of things to come hey can i roll one up though yeah absolutely roll up a, roll up a joint i'm gonna repack my berry bongs and uh uh we're gonna come back with a, a bit of end of things to come this is this. a banquet Oh, yeah, you can do it. Can I do it? Yeah, do it. This is Advanced Listening.
So we went through uh, uh, and we discussed LD50, but uh, I want to start this segment at the end. I think we should start at the end because the end is the best place to start. All the best movies start at the end and then take you back. So that's what we should do. We should start at the end. The end but, of things to come. Which, which by is actually, the way, yeah. might be yeah. one of the greatest albums in the history of fucking music. And I feel like I need to clarify for those that don't know the library, when he says the end, he's just referring to the name of the album. It's actually their next studio album. So it's not the end. <laughs> it's, it it's, is the end. The um, end of time. It, um, to be perfectly clear, this is my favorite Mudvayne album, uh, without question. Uh, it is, it is a one of those rare examples for it's a cover to cover thing for me. Like, yeah, me it, as well. There are so many songs on this album that are truly spectacular. Some of the best. Uh, uh, individual tracks that Mudvayne has done are on this album. Shadow of a Man, World So Cold, Perversions or Pre-Versions of the Truth, and Trapped in the Wake of a Dream. By the way, that song, I want to talk about Trapped in the Wake of a Dream. Yeah. That is something that occurs in my world a lot. I will have, I suffer from night terrors because of my PTSD. Right. And, And a lot of times I don't necessarily remember the dream. What happens is, is I wake up stuck in the gunk of the emotional residue of said dream. It's not the dream I remember, it's the emotionality of the dream. And I've taken to calling it being trapped in the wake of a dream. And when you listen to that song, it's almost like it's describing that feeling of of being just stuck and trapped in the wake of this hyper-emotional dream. The more you try and concentrate on what happened in the dream, the more the dream slips away. Man, and you know what's funny about you you getting all serious and deep. You know, I know we have a lot of fun on this podcast, but you getting like serious like that, it's the lyrics, the lyrical stylings of of the band in this album specifically are so powerful. Like it's once again, my favorite, we've talked about this many, many times. If anybody listens to the show, you understand my feelings on the matter. I, I'm not just in the metal that makes you want to beat your head against the wall. I like, I like this heavy music that invokes emotion and talks about real shit, you know? And yeah. in, invoking I, of emotion is key. It, this it, album it, is- in any genre of music. It, it, it's one of the reasons why I love tech nine so much as a rapper is the, it, it, is the emotions that he invokes in me. It's the same thing with Mudvayne. And and then like to get down to like literally, I guess like a uh, a, an objective level, right? Where you say how much has the band progressed between LD50 and this album? Like tremendously. Tremendously. You know what? And in one area specifically, the guitars between LD50 or the guitar, excuse me, between LD50 and the end of things to come is the biggest advancement in that band. And well, not to even not to undermine that, but not to overlook Chad either, because the range that Chad brings the the vocals that that are brought to you in this album to me are just they're so fucking powerful. It's his tone of voice, and and I'm not I'm not overlooking the guitar, but like you're talking about. Um, songs on here that you just feel are, are just ridiculous bangers i'll bring up shadow of a man 
right? The way he sings in Shadow of a Man, the, the chorus of that song where he's talking about the mirror, right? And he's like, right. is this a tool? You know, the, the whole tone of voice. And whenever he even says it, when he's like, I'm just the shadow of a man, like you fucking just feel a superficial it. tool. You feel it. Mm. Like, you and wait there's there's one more if you're if we're talking about things that we really super feel the very last song on that album a key to nothing yeah oh god that's a beautiful song god, it's so good it's so powerful and, and you already want to yeah i want to talk about about lyrics in this album specifically that are just so ungoddamn believably powerful that it it, it it causes you to pause it, there's a, a couple of lines at the end of the, the song World So Cold where it's the music has changed and it's become this ethereal kind of subtle uh, 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 soft sound and he starts singing about needing to find a darkened corner the darkest corner because he feels safe in the corner and it, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. it to me what he's saying is this as a child he's so used to being punished right and the punishments have gotten progressively worse and worse and worse and the neglect and the abuse of his parents are so bad now that he longs for the day when all he got was just put in a corner on time out that's his safe place punishment is his safe place because the punishments are so bad now that he just longs for being in a darkened corner where he feels safe where he's not being beaten and keep in mind you pulled all of that out of one fucking stanza of lyrics right yeah it's it, 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 you know what as somebody who had emotionally and neglectful parents emotionally yeah. abusive neglectful manipulative i mean physically they weren't bad i i got spanked just like every other kid but I, I mean, that was just being a child of the 80s, you know what I mean? The, the the fucking spankings were still a thing in the 80s, you know what I mean? And, and I don't know, that, that shit speaks to me. I need to find the darkest corner because I'm safe in the fucking corner. It's beautiful. The, and the whole album has moments like that, right? Like uh, in, in Perversions of the Truth, like... He he's literally just saying your versions of the truth, perversions of the truth, right? And yeah, and again, it's the same thing that they do with known uh, forever now or for now or ever is they they bracket out a portion of the word perversion. So when you're looking at it, it says pre versions of a truth, or you can read it as perversions of a truth. Right. And and it also reflects in the lyrics with the way that he with the way that he and then, you know, how I was talking about how I think he made leaps and bounds of uh, of lyrical or I mean, of vocal uh, abilities in this album. Yeah. I think uh, perversions of the truth is one of my favorite examples of that in this album. It's whenever he's uh, at the end of that song or near the end of that song, whenever his uh, his lyrics are, I'm not the only one, the way I'm not the only one. And then he holds that note in, in such a 
it's a mixture of 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 screaming rough lyrics right but then this really nice sultry fucking singing voice that he has and and in this album he really starts to experiment with blending the two instead of just sing because mudbane has always done that thing where like blah, 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 and then he'll sing blah, 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 you know like real quick yeah chad has a unique ability to go from a a, a really really hard on the vocal cords metal voice into a really really soft clean voice and not i mean anybody who's ever tried to do that knows that it's a difficult transition but to do that and not crack your fucking clean voice can be difficult and to say as people both of us who have seen them live that is not a studio trick like that's what they no, do. he yeah. does that shit that's a part of his that's his thing right but yeah you're listening in this entire album he does it in different areas i wish i wish i had like this fucking chart out in front of me of all the lyrics and songs and a breakdown but he does it so many times and what he's doing is blending these powerful abilities that he has to create a new powerful oh, oh you know where he does it he does it in uh, scrying, uh, skying. When uh, 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 when they get to the breakdown of the interlude, yeah, and he's singing really softly. Yeah, dude. With this voice, do you remember the bedroom? Was it your choice? And then he. And then where he where he goes with that is so much and and what's cool is like we're it's it's a good example of what i was just describing it's almost like you watch the rpms on a car go up you know like and that's and And the way he comes in the way he comes in with skyring uh when he hits the fucking growl in that song because you've because it's that real soft, subtle fucking bass line with a little yeah. guitar behind it for a good minute and a half. And by the time that song drops again, you've been lulled into a slumber. It And Chad's uh, delivery on his vocals, I, I like to, they're different. They're like this opposite sides of the same coin, but I like to compare him to Corey Taylor in the sense of how much you're getting when he gives it to you because you get all of it there is no there's a lot of these screamers that i feel use a lot of throat tricks and things like that which is good for the uh, conservation of your voice right but chad's explosiveness in all of these out any album his the way the way he presents it is fucking unfiltered he's blowing out he's blowing it out he's not using throat tricks he's not gutturally growling in the base of his vocal cords what he's doing is using lung power and diaphragm and raw emotion fuck out raw pure emotion what i wanted to bring up before we move on to glossed and found is the guitar evolution between ld50 and end of things to come i think is the major difference in the two albums because the ld50 again the guitars are subtle they're they're not lead they're background they're used the way you would typically think a bass guitar is used and the bass guitar and the drums become the lead instruments in the end of things to come it's almost like greg learned how to play guitar better or differently because you 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 get a clear evolution of the guitars and the guitars become more of a a, a front leading instrument in, in uh, uh, the end of things to come, and he plays 
with quieter, more muted sounds in uh, uh, End of Things to Come with his guitar than he, it, and it really adds like a, a kind of a creepy ambiance to some of the softer songs and the way that he, you know what I mean? Yeah. And no, and you're absolutely not wrong. They're like, like we said in the beginning, this is such a good example of them leveling up as a band. And there's actually, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up before we move on on this album too, which is one of my favorite things about uh, any band, any album, is when they have a thought process on how the tracks are put together, right? On the roller coaster ride that you're that you're taking on. And like I've said, on I said it in the last episode, right? There's two incredibly important tracks on any album: your opening track and your closing track, right? Right. On end, end of things to come, I think they pulled it off better than better than you could imagine. They opened up with a song called Silenced, which, by the way, regardless of how you feel about the song, it's it's one of my favorites. Like Silenced, really. That it comes in. All it's right. so it's so violent when it comes in, right? Like that. Silence. Right? And, and he's like, listen, listen here. Right. And then the, the way they come in. a possibility. They're all just equal. It's it's so much. It's it's powerful and it's violent. And then they close with a key to nothing, which is I love a key to nothing. Yeah. I love a key to nothing. Silence. Sorry. If I skipped a track on this album that wasn't the little weird 1287, 2499 in between track. Um, if I skipped a track on this album, it would be no. silenced. No. Yes. No. Yes. Get no. me right to Trapped in the Wake of a Dream as quickly as possible. Maybe no. not Falling. Not Falling is the radio single off this album. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it is, it's prototypical radio single. Well, it's not even just that. You know, Not Falling was made for that movie Ghost Ship. Yeah. Okay, great. It was good, though. Uh-huh. All right. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. Moving on. Yeah, but okay. Compare silence and not fallen to like mercy severity or so you et kuagula. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying that they're the greatest on the album, but I am saying when you're talking about opening track, like welcome to the album, right, and finishing track, which is like here's what we got left. Here's the the fucking curtain call. I think that they pulled it off. They're both home runs. Absolutely. I think they're both. All right. home all right, all right, look, if we're talking opening tracks, though, if we're talking oh. opening tracks, <laughs> I know there is say. one opening track <laughs> that is clearly, by far, the, of all five of their albums, yeah. this is the motherfucker that should be opening the album. Agreed. This is the opening track of opening tracks. Agreed. It is a goddamn motherfucker, and yeah. I am so fucking determined! Yeah. That yeah! Yeah! <laughs> I, I actually just recently told you this. This is about the time, the year this came out, is about the time I stopped uh, listening to full albums and I was just kind of downloading music here and there. Um, I am pleased to find, before I get into that take, that I did know basically everything in the library. Going through these albums, I didn't hear anything that I didn't intimately know, right? Yes, you uh, did. But with that being said... With yes, you did. Don't lie to the people. We'll get to that. I said no. Only no, no, you can't say that. And then move on because I told you there was a Mudbane song you hadn't heard and was I correct? You were. Thank you. In my defense, that song is not on any of their studio albums. So when it comes to right, but as, album, as a Mudbane fan, I seek out that band in any way, shape, or form. I like, like if there's a track 
on the bootleg from Japan. I'm on a fucking plane to Tokyo, motherfucker. I like how you're like, as a Mudvayne fan, Nooch, you fake-ass poser bitch. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> no, okay, you did show me that track. But what, I, what I'm getting at is I, I was pleased to find that I did know the library, right? But I did not know that this album opened with that track. That is one of my top ten favorite Mudvayne songs ever. And to open an album with fucking Determined is... So fucking Determined. So much, dude. It's so it is a great opening track. Lost and Found, the third album by Mudvayne, is um, it's incredible. schizophrenic in yeah. my eyes. Like, there is really, really good shit on this album. And then there is TV and radio, which is just bad. I disagree. I I disagree. I actually went back and listened to TV radio, and it's not – I would actually say Forget to Remember is a worse song than TV radio, which, by the way, both of those songs are uh, radio singles. Of course they are. But but with Forget to Remember, the the album version of Forget to Remember, I I don't really like. But the – on the For the People, By the People album, they do an acoustic version of Forget to Remember that is considerably better. It, they, Again, they make songs that are incredibly complicated and then decomplicate them to put them out as radio singles. Yeah. And you can hear that decomplication of a song in uh, that For the People, By the People album. They give you the more complicated versions of fall into sleep of forget to remember of uh uh what is the other one that is really clearly different there's another one on the move the demo version oh no no goodbye goodbye on for the people by the people is eight nine minutes long it's three minutes longer than the album version and it is considerably better considerably more complicated um but staying on okay so for the people by the people is not one of my favorite albums because even though they do we're passing over hold on let's stay let's stay focused we get in the weeds again let's stay focused um all for the people by the people is is a greatest hits album because mudvayne is so different what they did is a greatest hits album of different versions of those songs and my live versions demo versions you get a, a, a one acoustic song and that one acoustic song is Forget to Remember. And the acoustic version of that song is really fucking good. The thing is, the problem I have with that album is what they consider their greatest hits and what I consider their greatest hits are two totally different fucking conversations. Fair enough. But what they don't really do on For the People, By the People is give you a greatest hits album of their radio singles, which is what most bands do. Yeah, and we'll actually get to that because, believe it or not, they did do that. But wait, back to Lost and Found. Even though this is not my favorite album, I already told you, The End of All Things to Come is my favorite album this band ever put out, like non-negotiable. But Right, I'm with you. This album, Lost and Found, does have my absolute fucking loot favorite Mudvayne song ever. Yeah. Mine too. Listen, that's funny because I also agree with you that End of Things to Come is their best album. But my favorite Mudvayne song is not on End of Things to Come. It's on Lost and Found. My favorite Mudvayne song, and then I want to know yours, and I'm, I'm actually curious. I don't know if they're the same, but they might be. Uh, I-M-N. Not, it, it's three letters. Capital I, capital I, M. And capital N. N. I is in India, M is in Michael, N as in November. 
I am in. That is, and I'm not even going to go into it because I'm. Is that I'm because it's the same as your last name? Oh, actually, that's kind of cool. No, it actually has dick and balls to do with the title. It is the structure of that song. You know how earlier you were talking about how Mudvayne like kind of deconstructs, right? Like that's kind of yeah. the thing. But they do get more into the formula as time goes on, right? Yes, they do. This fucking song, and we will get into that formula in the next album. This fucking song, I Am In, is a, is a beautiful example of them putting everything that they've ever done all in one album. Dude, he sings. Some of their breakdowns in that are so fucking gorilla swinging head fucking banging raging out the lyrics are powerful i identify with them not to get off on a tangent but i didn't have the brightest happiest fucking childhood either and with with that being said i am in embodies everything i love about mudvayne in one fucking song it's my favorite song by this band ever the thing about lost and found that's so weird to me is how schizophrenic this album is because again you get songs like i am in determined and then and, and uh, sorry all that you are is fucking gorgeous yes and pull the string is truly a great ending track determined as an opening track fucking coming out the gate swinging motherfucker like goddamn conor mcgregor just knocking fools out in 14 seconds is it weird determined. is it weird that i just my only beef with pulling the strings i think it's too short i think there should have been more right you on. feel like it should be a lot longer of a song. I, 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 agree. I feel like it's incomplete now as a song as the, the 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 package that you get pulling the string and it being the closing track yeah you're right home run what the fuck but listening to that song as a whole after hearing every other song on the album you're like did they just not finish this song like yeah it's like it's only like five minutes long I think the thing that, that that strikes you as it being short is because all that you are, the song right before that, the second to last song, is longer, like considerably longer. You know what I mean? Right. But again, the schizophrenia on this album because you have monsters and bangers, and then you've got Happy and TV Radio and Just, which are just not good songs. And then the version of Fallen to Sleep that's on this album is a really bad radio version of that song and again you go and you listen to the 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 the, the version on for the people by the people of fall into sleep and it's a it's a more complicated it's a heavier it's a more interesting version of the exact same song it's a fucking banger on that album but on lost and found the radio version of that song sucks yeah but lost and found also has a song that is truly <sighs> unfucking believable in some of the shit that they do in that song. Rain, sun, gone. Yeah, that's your that's your is favorite. Ryan track. Martini's. That is Ryan Martini's greatest work. Ah. They, he does things. Listen to me. He does things in that album or in that song. Excuse me. In that song, he does things that makes me just go what the fuck and i have to pick my fucking jaw and tongue up off the floor because i'm so in shock and awe he, uh, the 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 crazy way he walks his base the, some of the fucking weird drops that he does the way that he's just it's it's not as chugging and as grinding as you would think his base was on like ld50 or on uh, uh end of things to come what he does with his guitar, with his bass guitar in that song, Rain, Sun, Gone, 
is spectacular. He gets to the middle of it, and there's a scene where he's it's just this he does, he makes noises. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that with a bass guitar, jackass? And uh, one that of the- song "Rain Sun Gone" is why I I maintain Ryan Martini is the greatest bassist in the history of metal music, and obviously on the fucking Mount Rushmore of bassists all time, forever and ever and ever. What he does in that song makes my heart skips beats. And, I, <clears throat> and the thing about, you know, I like love Ryan Martini for that song is he has so many different tones that he likes to play with. Like what's really cool is he he's like the most bipolar tone artist that you'll ever hear. And what I mean by that is whenever for those that, that listen to our playlist, you're, you'll see, hear a lot of Mudbane. So there'll be a lot of examples on here when he does his bright face. <laughs> It sounds unlike any bright bass you've really ever heard. That that tone, that, that wow, wow. But his yeah, when he when he bends notes, it sounds like he's playing the uh, the deep notes on a guitar on and, a seven string. And whenever he gets into his low stuff, it literally sounds like an animal growling at you. He has a bass guitar that I've seen him play live. It's a six string bass, right? And he is. The, the, the bottom string on that bass guitar is basically the top string on a seven string guitar, right? Right. And he's got three l- real high, high note bass strings on the bottom. And then the three top strings, like he misses an entire fucking set of middle octaves and then just jumps up to the thickest, chuggiest yeah, fucking bass strings almost, known to God's it's almost, men. It's almost like the sound that it makes is almost like if there's a way that you couldn't like put a string all the way on a bass guitar and just leave it flopping there and then every now and then it hits right and it's like he he makes a sound with his bass guitar he does it a lot more in ld50 and end of things to come than he does uh, through the remainder of their albums but he makes this sound it's a combination like warthog snort Harley Davidson rap. Dude, what a good ex. Yeah, that's exactly. Especially in a, you know what I'm talking about in that part in Eternal Primates Forever. Yeah. It is. It is like one part warthog snort, one part revving a fucking Harley Davidson. It is. It, 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 it's so fucking thick. You're just like Jesus Christ. So the album, the album as a whole is really good. I will say on this one, the one that they have radio tracks on are some of my not really favorites, I guess. But but and and I'm once again, I'm not knocking them because they've been doing this shit since day one. It's just this. Exactly. One, I thought that they dumped it down a little too much, right? There. One last thing I want to mention on Lost and Found, especially with that song "Rain Sun Gone," is so fucking delicious. It's got this really long outro i mean they extend that outro right at the eight bar mark you're thinking the outro's done and then they just keep going for another eight bars and the transition into the next song choices is so fucking clean as to it's almost the same song i really like listen if 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 you listen, or you fucking goddamn stinky hey, monster. Hey, we've been doing. You want to earn my respect, Ryan? You want to earn my respect? I will give you an entire episode where I will not call you plebeians. You email me that you went and listened to Rain Sun Gone. It's an entire in its entirety, 
and then followed through into choices. I want you to hear the transition from Rain Sun Gone to Choices. It is spectacular. You know, Ora- it is unfucking believable how cleanly they switch into a completely different song. You almost made it through an entire episode without insulting our listeners. I wanted you to know that. Fuck those dang uh, bastards. You want to earn my respect, you fucking plebs? Go listen to that shit. Email me that you listened to it and tell me that I was fucking right. I know I'm right, but I want to hear you say it. <laughs> so, moving the fuck on, um, this next album I almost don't even want to discuss. Well, this next album we're absolutely having to discuss, and that's because it's clearly their worst album. Now, what I want to say here before we get into it, and I'll keep this little thing short, is that in my opinion, almost every band you've ever loved has some missteps, okay? And sure, this is their misstep. You know, Mudvayne put out a new game, Slipknot put out Subliminal Verse. So here's the reason why this album makes me mad, okay? Versus why Slipknot made me mad. Slipknot has come out since and told the story of Subliminal Verses, which we'll get into one day, and they own it. Do you hear me? They fucking own it. All right? Mudvayne refuses to own the the horrificness that is New Game. Do you know what Mudvayne said about the New Game? No, what did they say? That this is their rock and roll album. Get the fuck out of here! Did that not piss you off? As as, as much as I love that, Mud that, Bang, That's upsetting on so many levels. It's... This is our rock album. Well, I'll tell you what. With songs like Fish Out of Water, Do What You Do, Have It Your Way... Now, I like Do What You Do. As, as far as... Look, as far as... You know what Do What You Do is? Do What You Do is a rock version of that fucking song from that Tom Hanks movie, That Thing You Do. <laughs> I like Do What You Do, man. I think that's an okay one. Yeah, just do what you do, what you no, do, what you do. Now, you do. let's also be clear. Every single song on this album was a radio track. Every one of them. Every single one of them. Yep. It is a goddamn, it is a fucking cover-to-cover singles album. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is, yeah. It's almost, but, it almost but, but, like but, a compilation. But, but. It almost feels like a compilation. Like, this can't be it does. There's no there's no conjoining through line in this album. That being said, there are bright spots. <laughs> Dullboy is fucking thick. Dullboy Dullboy is good, but it's like and that's actually the only one that didn't make it on the radio. Dullboy was never played on the radio. Um but the reason why and it pisses me off cuz they don't they open with that? Isn't that like No, it's not the opening song. The opening song is I'm a fish out of water. No. Come and see about me. It's bad. It's bad. I know. Uh, and I think, I think if they would own it, I would feel less angry about it. But they don't. They were just like, yeah, we were getting no. What you did here was you were trying to make a fucking chop tart or chart topping album that appealed to the lowest common denominator. They gave away, no. They didn't. It, they didn't ex- express themselves the way Mudbane does. There was nothing manic about it. There was nothing powerful about it. There was nothing moving about it. It was incredibly uninspired, and it was made to fucking pull in your class or not class rock, but your rock radio station listeners. That's what it was made for. And I disagree in their intention. I I think the execution is right on where you're saying. But I think after being nominated for a Grammy for LD50, after being nominated for a Grammy for End of Things to Come, after being nominated for a Grammy for Lost and Found, all three of those albums nominated, all three of those albums clearly better than the fucking album that won Best Rock Album that year, right? 
they wanted to make an album that the Grammy audience would appreciate. I'm not going to argue with that, but I will just say that as a fan of, as a person who doesn't just surface listen, as a person who spent their uh, adolescent years like really digging in and enjoying what this band is capable of seeing that is the closest thing I'll ever ever you won't hear me say this shit often but selling out yeah yeah I agree that being said there are still three songs on this album that I really enjoy or well two that I enjoy and one that I'm so weirdly fascinated by that I can't kind of move past it because it's such an odd song and it's such an odd subject matter of the song Um, the two that I like a Cinderella story. Still, wait, wait. Before you go any further, I just want to say, I feel like these songs are only good in the scope of this album. Yes, you're right. Because it, it, uh, none of these albums, if you had put it on, on uh, it would, it would, come, would, would have been It would be the song you it. skipped. Any fucking song on this album would be the song you skipped on any of the previous albums. Yes, fair enough. That being said, I do like Cinderella's story. The breakdown in uh, Have It Your Way, bombs, bullets, and blood, the things that we don't see on the TV being a direct reference to the media not showing the dead bodies of soldiers coming back from Iraq after fighting for our fucking oil. Um, That speaks to me in a weird way, oddly enough. And then the song, the title track of the album... The song, A New Game, the subject matter of the song, in the context of the rest of the album, stands out as the only song on this album that actually has subjects to a subject to it. You know what I mean? Where I'm not going to disagree with you. I just don't have any more of a take on this album because I didn't like it. Fair enough. A New Game is about pedophilia. Okay. And... With the rest of the album being as pop and bubblegum as it is, to have a song with that kind of subject matter, and it, it is it is a dark, dark fucking song, stands out as a, 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 I don't know, not a rose amongst weeds, but like as a weed amongst smaller weeds. And I don't know, I don't know how to describe it because this, this whole album is really kind of pop bubblegummy. And then you have this one incredibly, incredibly dark song and the subject matter is so dark and intense that despite the fact that it's not really that great of a song the subject matter would make it dark and intense for any fucking Mudvayne album which I find really weird given this album's light agreed okay I yeah like yeah, I can't argue with that. And and but the cool thing is about Mudvayne is this is not if you go if you dive into the lyrics, especially I hate to bring up my favorite album again, but End of All Things to Come, if you look into the lyrics of this band, they have something to say about a lot of shit. You know? Like they're yeah, they're they really big into people thinking freely and you know, they hate the fact that a lot of us accept the fact that we're to the government and I'm not going to get all into that. Uh, you know, v- victim 
goddamn base swap victims of commercialism and things like that. But see, they're not like Rage Against the Machine in the sense of the worst. The worst aspects of what Tyler Durden warned us about. <laughs> but what what's cool about it is they don't just sing about that, right? Like Rage Against the Machine is is a very political band, and that's ninety eight percent of their tracks is kind of where that's going. Mudbane will write about different things, but when they do, it's typically it's typically deep and powerful, you know. <laughs> And that's that's the reason why I didn't like this album is I felt like there was no bass. I felt like it was like I felt like it was like a five finger death punch song. Like it was just let's make some words that rhyme, let's make them kind of deep and powerful, maybe, and then let's put some pretty sick guitar riffs on it. Hey Ryan Martini, you're sick. Do your bass thing, and then he's like chugga 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 chugga, and like okay cool, there you go. Yes, but. Yeah, again, no, that song for a band that was only around a decade yeah. to have as many truly unforgettable songs. It's as almost they do. their whole library. You know it's it's almost like, the whole library. I struggle to come. I struggle to come up with a band outside of Led Zeppelin <laughs> that has as many amazing songs in their first yeah. five albums. No, as I, I maybe Tool. It, I mean, but Tool, you don't really think of Tool songs as, as being songs. You think of Tool as being an album that you have to fucking in, in, in imbibe as a single thing because you do and if you don't you're a fucking monster and you should be shunned from easy, society easy we're doing good we're doing good um no you're right now wait let's go ahead and wrap this up by talking about the last album which is their self-titled album. the self-titled the self-titled final album which by the way listen i know i've brought you this have. up before if you're gonna do a self-titled album, it better be your fucking debut. Because if it's your fifth album, you're just being lazy with it. You know, I don't know. What, let's just call it fuck. Uh, I don't know. You know what I normally yeah. I would agree with that, but you know why I disagree with with that in this case? I feel like, although why? it's I'm not gonna say it's my favorite or anything like that, especially after dropping fucking new game, right? Naming this Mudbane and then the <laughs> contents of this album. It's exactly what it says it is, bro. This is Mudvayne. It's like it's almost like a statement, like we're back. This is their this is their doctoral it's thesis. Serious. This is a culmination of everything they've learned in the first. And it's a home run. It is full of really, really odd yeah. songs. Yeah. Like like Journey of a Thousand Miles and Beyond the Pale, Out to Pasture. These are odd Out tracks. They have long, weird, kind of ethereal, spacey kind of intros. Um, I think, real quick, uh, what did you just say? Out to Pasture. Out, okay, so the lyrics of Out to Pasture. Oh, yeah, Beautiful and Strange is another one of those songs that has another one of those long, ethereal intros. I think, um, before, I for, okay, before I forget this, because my, uh, my little track list just died, so I do not have... Wait, wait, before I forget, yeah. isn't that a fucking yeah. song? Oh no, that's, that's a fucking not song, yeah. Uh, Mudvayne did forget to remember, right? Before I forget to remember, <laughs> we should do that. We should hodge, modge, hodge, pop, hodge those up. Wait, um, I think my favorite song on this album is called "I Can't Wait," and I love it. It's fucking brutal. It's swinging for the fences, Mudvayne. I don't know why, but I just love it when they go hard i love it when they go fucking crazy for it man and i can't wait is a really good uh swinging from the fucking chandelier song dude i i like 
there are songs on this album that I like. There are songs on this album that I do yeah. not like. The thing is, is I had been, uh, uh, I had been out of the military for about two years when this album dropped, and the the final track on this album, Dead Inside, it's it's hard. Was so fucking apt for how I felt in the moment this album dropped. And like, I've I've never not liked that song, and I can understand why most Mudvayne fans wouldn't necessarily like that song. But it does. It, it says no. it, there's a lot of emotional. Let, let me let me point something out because I'm so glad to hear you say you like that song. Uh, for you to say, oh, a typical Mudvayne fan might not like that song. No, fuck you. A surface listener wouldn't like that song, right? Because they're like, oh, that's not Mudvayne. But like, no, 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 you motherfucker. If you if you've paid attention to anything that's happened in these last albums, right, you will understand that, that <laughs> Chad wants to express the deepest, darkest feelings out there. And Dead Inside is like the calm acceptance of being broken. And I think yeah. it is it is one of the most powerful songs on that track. Regard it's an for it's an acoustic song and it's slow and it's quiet. But it lyrically it's uh it's goddamn near a masterpiece. That is that is one of a handful of songs that if I'm listening to it because a lot of times I will skip past it because I know the emotional impact it yeah. has on me but if I'm listening to that song that is one of a handful of songs that will choke me every and, but it time. just shows you it goes to show you uh, the versatility of a band like this man like so let me ask you let me yeah. ask you this because we're both we're both admitted Mudvayne fans and have listened to this band yeah. for years and Going back, yeah, because it's been a hot minute since I had listened to Mudvayne cover yeah. to cover, like start to finish. Right. Going back and working your way through the discography of this band, a band that you love. Did did you get uh, uh, what is your what is your like like takeaway from going back to them? Did it change some of your thoughts? Did it amend some of your thoughts? Did it uh, confirm some of your thoughts? What is your takeaway from revisiting a band that All we right. love? That we probably romanticize. Yes. Uh, uh, and before I before I go too far into this, this is my little my my final thoughts on on Mudvayne Week. Um, I when listening to this, I was trying to be unbiased, right? I was trying to listen to it as a comprehensive piece. Uh, now I will say there are certain songs that when they came up, there's no way. Like if you don't like them, you don't like them. That's fine. They're attached to my soul, and I can't let go. Uh, but with that being said. I think that Mudvayne knew who they were out the gate. I think that they are unique. I think that they're very original, incredibly talented from every every possible aspect. I think that they're guilty of getting stuck in this their Mudvayne box sometimes. And what I mean by that is they have this weird chaotic formula uh, that uh, – and these certain like, – like Chad likes using the certain melodies and notes, progressions in his voice, and he's guilty of, of kind of repeating a lot of that. Uh, but on the whole, I think that they convey emotion, which is something I love. I think that they think about how they put their albums together, which is very important to me. And I think for the most part, they remain consistent throughout their entire career. Oh, and, and, and lastly, I will say that when it comes to the kind of metal that they do, they're absolute juggernauts of, of the fucking industry. I, uh, I feel like Mudvayne is a band that 
was I, I, I'm gonna say for four of the five albums, I don't think there's a band out there that could have as big of an impact on the scene as they did in their first three albums alone. But four out of five albums being complete monsters is a rare occurrence. I mean, some of the best bands, every like Deftones, they good, great, amazing shit. That is their album progression, and they have done it twice now. Their first four and their last four albums. So the next album should be good, right? Mudvayne is one of the handful of bands that can say that, look, outside of a new game, there's a lot of monsters. Uh, but those four albums, I'd put up against any band's first four albums. And uh, they radically bucked trends. They did not want to get stuck in. Most bands, most bands follow a very, very, very obvious formula. Intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, interlude, chorus, chorus, outro. Thanks for coming out. I think Mudvayne, and the biggest example of this is a song called Nothing to Gain, where they're just refusing to fall into any kind of structure. And then their anti-structure became their structure. And they got stuck in, like you said, the mud vein box. And then you you try and break out of the anti-structure structure. Well, how do you do that? Well, you, you fucking create a goddamn album like a new game where it's just the exact thing that you were fighting against to be in the beginning. And I love that they, I don't know, recognize that, at least it, whether they admit it or not, the next album, they get back to doing Mudvayne-like activities. The thing that gets me is I fucking love Mudvayne. I like what's going on now with Hell Yeah, but I fucking love Mudvayne. And the question I have to leave the listeners with, because in 2010, Mudvayne went on, quote, a hiatus. And a lot of that has to do with uh, Chad and Greg playing in Hell Yeah. So at what point does Mudvayne's hiatus become a breakup? I have no idea. But we're going to ponder on that. And that's how you fucking advance your listening. Hey, man. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. This isn't your fucking side project, goddamn newt show. Yeah. We don't hey. we don't we don't do that here at Advanced Listening. We're fucking shut up, Steve. You're not professional, but we are professional. It's the Nooch Pod, if you want to be a dick about it. Well, I and, don't. <laughs> and 
you know what honestly this is like mushroom head because i started the podcast first so this was a side project it's just better so i do it more <laughs> oh 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 we're your we're the mushroom head of your existence well you wouldn't kiss my mushroom head because this hey is- what, what ended up happening though all of those dudes in mushroom head left and they formed a side project right they all had different shit going on but then the side project was awesome and right, but at it, what point does the side project become the main attraction? But that's the question, isn't it? Right. At what point does Hell Yeah become the uh, Chad and Greg main band? Actually, I think Greg left Hell Yeah recently. It, and wait, there's actually a, a and they and they replaced Vinny Paul too because for those that don't know, let's get into the the science of it real quick. Um, Hell yeah, was a side project started by Chad and what's the guitar player, Greg? Greg Tabbit. Yeah, they started it with uh, Vinny Paul, the drummer of Pantera, and isn't it like the bassist of like NXS or some shit like that? Like, uh, Tom Maxwell is the other guitarist and he was in night nothing face okay nothing face that's what it was now now in a nutshell without being a hater i'm not i'm not going to be too much of a hater uh hell yeah is like if leonard skinnard was metal okay right right yeah, and that- then the bassist was also uh uh the bassist the, that they started with their, their original bassist was the bassist from nothing face so hell yeah was basically what happens if you had Mudvayne, Pantera, Nothing Face, and and slammed them into one. Yeah. But Greg left the band in like it left Hell Yeah in 2014, and then Benny Paul passed away in what 2018. But and see, here's the thing, it, and it pisses me off because first, I'm not a huge Hell Yeah fan, right? They do have some really good tracks, and I love Benny Paul as a drummer, right? Um. So I, it's kind of some of their stuff is kind of like Texas rock, like you know what I mean, right? Yeah, no, it is. Most, rock. most of it is. It's like it's not quite hillbilly rock. It's especially not that Stampede rock. album. That is it's, that is cowboy rock. Especially that fucking Stampede album, right? And right. honestly, I don't like the fact that you started a band called Hell Yeah, <laughs> which, which honestly I think Hell, Hell Yeah is a terrible name for a band. Yeah. I, I I don't like the name. And then your first album is self-titled, which Orion would agree with. Okay, so let's let's do this. Fine. If you're gonna be a self-titled album, it should be your self-titled debut album. But that's why it's called a self-titled debut? And that's what they did. But then they also had a goddamn radio track called Hell Yeah. So the song is called Hell Yeah. On the album Hell Yeah. For yeah. The band Hell Yeah. Yeah. That's that's three too many hell yeahs. No, Orion. Yeah, I don't like that. Okay, now wait, but here's my beef with this. So Mudvayne is not officially broken up. They're on hiatus. And you've got members of Mudvayne doing this. At what point do we add the word up to a break, right? Yeah. Because look, you pointed out earlier in a conversation... And I don't want to get too far into Tool or the intricacies of his other bands, Maynard's other bands. But whenever Maynard is doing a perfect circle, right? And and they're not making Tool albums because those are fucking few and far between. Tool is still an active band, goddammit. Yeah, no, you're right. They're still touring and and doing shows and festivals and such. But when you're 
getting three Perfect Circle albums and and a triple live album from a Perfect Circle in the time that it takes to to get from Ten Thousand Days to Fear Inoculum. Like, at what point is a Perfect Circle Maynard's main band and Tool his side project? See, I I think that that's that's a, a matter of opinion because, like I said, it doesn't. Even though we were all waiting on this Tool album forever, the Tool fans weren't being completely ignored because you could still go see Tool. Yeah, but here's the other thing about Maynard. Maynard has a side project for his side project. True. Because he has a side project. Tool. Okay, let's say Tool is the main attraction, right? We has a side project called a Perfect Circle, right? And when he's doing a perfect circle, he has a side project from a perfect circle called Pussifer. Which is great, by the way. Yeah. And here's the thing that I get that that really gets me pumped about all three of those projects from Maynard. Is they're all radically different. Yeah. Like, hell yeah is a bad version of Mudvang. It is. It's you like it's I mean? like it's the worst like... aspects of a new game. It, which it's... is why maybe I don't like Hell Yeah as much. I mean, I like Hell Yeah, but I fucking love Mudvang. And I think about songs that Hell Yeah has, and I don't want to spend too much fucking time on Hell Yeah because I, I just I don't approve. Um, but like they they tried to give the the Cowboys a ballad called Alcohol and Ass, and uh, a, a, a lot of people right. liked it. A lot of uh, honestly, it was a chart song. It, it did good. Oh God, oh, man. It was, yeah, but they I, do I, that a lot because it's not just alcohol and ass. It's alcohol and ass and Better Man and Thank You and Black December and fucking, uh, what's the other one? Uh, 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 there's another one. I will say this. I didn't hate Thank You. Moth. Moth. There's that. There's Moth. Thank You. And What It Takes to Be Me. That's the one I was thinking I, of. I, I didn't hate Thank You. I really didn't. That was actually kind of a... I just wanna well, say hey, thank you. It, it, it's out of, out of, a, out of a, a list full of tracks that I don't like. That one's alright, is how I feel about that. Um, but wait, okay. here's another one. What about... Did you ever listen to Damage Plan? Damage Plan was... Phil Anselmo's side project oh. for Pantera, correct? It was no, 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 no. That's a uh, arson anthem. Um, uh, what's the other one? What's the other one Phil Anselmo was in? Uh, oh, I know this one. I know this one. I do know this one. Give me a minute. Is there was Damage Plan, and then there was a uh, another one that he I can't. Had. I'm trying so hard because it was kind of like a southern death metal blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While while Vinnie Paul and Rex were doing Damage Plan, Phil was doing Down. This other band. Down. Down. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah, because they, they had the, their first album was called Nola. And and it wasn't great, but then they released Down Two, where they find their sound, and it's like brutal blues metal. Yeah, exactly. It's not bad. It's really not. Uh, but they no, have a song that. Down has a song that uh, every time I hear it, all I see in my head is like a guy who's getting ready to drive. You know what I mean? He's putting on the fucking driving gloves and he's got his keys out and he's getting ready to start the car. And then he starts the car and he pulls it out of the garage and he just spins the fucking tires in this slow-mo. It's this long intro, this 
it's just I see the car spinning the tires in the background and right as the drums drop like the fucking shit catches and just fishtails into it's a muscle car too by the way and he's going to kill people that that's that's part of the context is he's definitely on his way to murder a lot of people um in revenge I mean like you know in revenge not just random innocence I mean he's got a fucking purpose he's trying to kill like John Wick or or, or you know Mark of Death or what's the uh What's the John Charles Bronson one? Death Wish. Death Wish, yeah. He's getting revenge. Um, you know, Down was Vinnie Paul and uh, Dimebag, right? And they had this fucking, or it is other people, but from Pantera, that was the, you know the side project. Um, they had this song called Pride. It actually yes. made, it made it on the radio for a little bit, uh, but I am mad at it. You talk about Damage Plan, not Down. Yeah, damage plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. My bad. Damage. Down was Phil's uh, side project while Vinny and and Dimebag were doing uh, and, damage plan. Is it just me or was damage plan just fistfuls better than Down? Uh, you know what? I kind of see them as both being like the same thing with System of a Down. When System of a Down broke up, right? I don't want to talk These about side projects. They broke up, no, right? No, and then you have Scars on Broadway, which is no. one half of System of a Down. Nope. And then you have Serge Tarkin, the other half of System of a Down, putting out a solo album. Nope. Those two albums just sounded like they were each a half a System of a Down album. I get the same feeling from Down and Damage Plan. They feel like half a Pantera album. Like because because Phil brings that guttural brutality that that Dimebag and Vinnie Paul and Rex don't bring on their own. They bring the riffs that allow. They bring the canvas that Phil paints on, right? Right. And the thing is, I don't like Phil painting on another canvas. I don't. Yeah, I don't know, man. Damage plan and down. Like the reason I keep confusing the two is because they just feel like opposite sides of a coin that should be one coin. Right. They're 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 each a half a Pantera album. You know what I mean? Um, and then the same thing. It's the same thing with Serge Tarkin's solo shit and then Scars on Broadway. They both feel like half a System of a Down album. I fucking hate Scars on Broadway. Hate right it. now. Right. You listen. Whenever we do our System of a Down episode, this oh this, Scars on Broadway pisses me off because it's like. This is just like, fuck, on. just put out a good system album. And, and listen, listen, here's the thing. You can hear it coming when you listen chronologically to the System of a Down albums. This will be something that we talk about in their episode. Um, but you can hear it happening. Uh, that that little whiny fucking guitar playing piece of shit. Goddamn that little bastard. Um, yeah, the more he sings, the worse the band gets. And it's not even just that. The songs aren't that bad the more he comes in. But as the albums come out, he gets more and more present and more present. And I, can, I feel like, even though I have no knowledge of this at all, I haven't read about this or anything, I feel like I there, have, I feel like there there was this struggle. I, I know a lot about their breakup. We'll get into that. Uh, but I feel like there was this internal struggle of of him wanting to be more and more present and Serge giving him more and more leeway. And the next thing you know, the dude's like the other vocalist in the band. And it's, I do, where their voices work well when they bounce off each other because they both use really weird tones. It's not good to do a whole fucking album of that guitar player not shut the fuck up. Right. Here's the thing, it, it, is those two worked well together when they mixed the balance that, say, Alice in Chains had with Cantrell and Staley. 
right? Staley was clearly the lead singer, and Jerry Cantrell accentuated his fucking voice in the harmonies. But when- those two, Serge and the guitarist, whose name escapes me right now, um, it doesn't matter. They worked best together in a harmony with Serge in the lead. That's what that's what I'm saying is the balance that you're talking about is not a 50-50 split. You know what I mean? No. It's, it's more of like a 70-30. Then you have uh, uh uh so again, I come back to the question of when does a side project start taking away from the main act or become the main act? And do you think that Slipknot was affected by the creation or recreation of Stone Sour. See, I like that you chose to use the word recreation because that was something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, all this time, all these years, I'm I'm so willing to. Oh, by the way, offer. real quick, yeah, the guitarist from uh, the guitarist is 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 Daron, and I'm not gonna say his last name because it's very very Middle Eastern, and you and know, I don't want to butcher not, it. I was about to say rather not butcher it. It's Daron. Okay, so wait, this is something I wanted to talk to you about. Um, Stone Sour came first. Yes, they did. And and what what ended up happening was Slipknot found Corey Taylor when they got rid of their original vocalist. Uh, Sean Crane, uh, the clown. Uh, yeah. Sean and James Root, the Jim Root, James Root, the, the Root. Jim Root. Uh, are the ones that approached Corey Taylor, okay? And yeah. But, so what ended up happening is all these years, like I said, I'll admit when I'm wrong, I thought that Stone Sour was the side project, but Slipknot is the fucking side project technically. And what he ended up For Corey Taylor, at least. For Corey Taylor. And what ended up happening was Corey Taylor took these fistfuls of fucking money that he made from the Slipknot self-titled album, and he went back to Stone Sour, and he began to fund and finance this project where they could get legitimate things out. And James Root was with him in this process. Okay? Was James Root the guitarist on that first Stone Sour album? Bet the first one's pretty fucking no, good. He's he's actually, as to my knowledge, at least the first two albums, he is the lead guitar player on both of those albums. Because the first, the first Stone Sour album, is a band really fucking good there is some chugging grinding ass the first like, the first stone sour album is a different side of Corey taylor backed by some incredible fucking music the first stone sour album is a banger there is some you know what it is it is it is like a five-piece grunge band that has been listening to too much Slipknot. But what ended up happening, in my opinion, and I don't want to, we're going to save this for the fucking Slipknot episode. I feel that uh, Stone Sour got more popular than they expected, and that uh, the, it, it definitely is is a little bit more pop rock. I wouldn't call it pop rock, but rock, rock and roll, right? Less yeah. metal, more rock and roll. And it, and I think that Corey Taylor was slightly diluted uh, by the, the 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 polar opposite of Slipknot and Stone Sour, and it was hard not to let it bleed into. It right, yeah. in my opinion, Slipknot stayed the main project. We'll save the rest of that conversation for another day. That being said, Monolith off that first Stone Sour oh, album is a dude. fucking monster. Hit. Almost every fucking track, even Bother, right? It, it bothered Road Hogs, uh, 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 Orchids, fuck, dude. Orchids is fucking amazing. And I, hey, I pulled, so, I pulled that out without having a track list next to me. I just remember that one. There's a breakdown in Orchids where he says, uh, 
now I know I disappear. I can't find my way from out of here. Everything is fading on me. Someone tell me why, right? When he breaks into those lyrics, you get to see some of the monster of Corey Taylor from Slipknot bleed into Stone Sour, and it's fucking beautiful. Right? Sorry, dude. So, <laughs> so when you get a guy like, uh, say, like Mike Portnoy, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Who used to be the driving force of Faith No More, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right? I know that Portnoy was the drummer for Dream Theater. Oh, yeah. And Dream Theater, look, and check this out. This is another reason why I'll, I'll tell you that. I love Mike Patton. Excuse me. I'm thinking of Mike Patton. Oh, I thought you There's were There's too many drummers named Mike that have a P as the start of their last name that have been in all the bands. Yeah. Portnoy and Patton have literally been in every fucking band imaginable. Both of them have drummed for Korn at one point. Well, at least on tour. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Portnoy... Mike Patton just did the vocals for fucking Faith No More, right? I'm pretty sure that Portnoy did uh, Nine Inch Nails tour, too. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't think Mike Patton was even <laughs> the drummer of Faith No More. He was just a vocalist. <laughs> but there's... Hey, there's you another example of a side project. There's this Christian rock band that, uh, vocals aside, I really kind of hate their fucking vocalist because uh, he kind of sounds like a new age Getty Lee, and I'm just not into that. Um, God damn, that's nasty. Yeah, that hurt my fucking feelings when you said that just now. He's like a modern Getty Lee, but the band is called Dream Theater, right? And uh, oh, the, I know Dream Theater, dude. I know Dream Theater. If you can, if you could just get instrumental Dream Theater, it would be one of my favorite bands ever. Ever, they drop some of the chuggiest, most awesome non-death metal. Right? It's not death metal. It's like. It's like towing into mainstream metal meets something a little bit more sinister, right? I fucking loved him. Okay. But then that dude opens his mouth, and I'm like, God damn it. God damn it. Uh, but the, but the thing is, for side projects, that dude left Dream Theater to go fill in for the Rev after the Rev died, and they created the only passable Avenged Sevenfold album, Nightmare. Um, Okay. And he went back to fucking Dream Theater, right? But he went right. fucking did the side project with Avenged Sevenfold and gave them the best album of their career. Well, there you go. How about uh? Okay. Here's here's one of the ultimate side projects. Audio Slaves. Oh, dude, but does that count? Because it's a different band, isn't it? There was no more Rage Against the Machine. There. Wait, is Audio Slave? Uh, yeah, yeah. Audio Slave is what happens when Rage Against the Machine and Soundgarden meet. But right? see, by the time they met, there was no more Soundgarden, and then Rage Against the Machine also broke up. So I don't think that's a side project. That's a different band. All right. Fair enough. My argument to you is that after the formation of Audio Slave, you still got Rage Against the Machine doing shows as True. Rage Against the Machine. True. With all four members. And Audio Slave also or like after audio slave you still got uh, uh uh chris cornell doing his solo shit right so i feel like and doing soundgarden shit right so i feel like maybe initially yes soundgarden and raging Against the machine had broken up and they had formed their new band right even the, though that but, first album is very much what happens when Rage Against the machine marries soundgarden but the but, smoldering ashes of the former band still remained right 
yes, they, those former bands were still there and smoldering and occasionally caught a flame. You know what I mean? Right. I, but wait, fun story. I, I got to see. Is, is it is it that Audio Slave is the side project from Rage Against the Machine, or that when they did Rage Against the Machine shows, that was the side project from Audio Slave? Do you know why I can't answer that question with confidence? Why? Because I'm not certain on my timeline. I am mostly confident on the timeline. I the first Audio Slave album came out in. O2. I'm 93.6% sure that first Audio Slave album came out in O2. Well, so that would have been right around the time of uh, 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 Renegades would have been out for maybe a year. But Renegades is a compilation album, you know what I mean? Right. I, I think that yeah, 2002 is the first Audio Slave album. I think and that all the last Rage album, I want to say the the last studio album from Rage, which would have been like Battle for Los Angeles, that would have been what ninety nine. See, what really the two thousand Renegades ninety nine was Battle for Los Angeles. Um, I think that all of the bandmates from all of these bands needed to get together and fuck and get it over with. Right? Am I, am I wrong about that? Like, no. The only thing that really annoys me, I, I liked Audio Slave. I thought that was really good. I didn't mind that Rage was on, was nowhere to be found, and and Soundgarden couldn't get an album made because of Audio Slave. That didn't bug me. I what love bugs me. What bugs me is fucking Prophets of Rage because yeah, it's not you know, Public Enemy, it's not Rage Against the Machine, I, and it's not Cypress Hill, and it's not some kind of cool amalgamation of the three either. It's no. just not let me tell you something there's a lot of potential with that with that group prophets of rage uh but it is a it is a ridiculous uh heard on your local pop station surface listening party song and even then it's not that fucking good um how do you get public enemy and rage against the machine put in the same room together and it's not fucking awesome and political and protested do you know what my how is it not protest metal do you know what my instincts tell me about that and and i have once again i have no knowledge to support this uh but my instincts tell me that that is a sad pathetic washed up has been fucking cash grab that the record company put together to see what they could do there's no heart behind that project none i agree i agree i feel like the record company behind this definitely wanted to do something with Rage Against the Machine. Let me ask you something. Let me ask something. All these, all these people that are in Prophets of Rage, what the fuck else were they doing? Nothing. 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 But, but, look, if you gave me Rage Against the Machine with Zach De La Roca, and I feel like Zach was the reason why we got Prophets of Rage instead of Rage Against the Machine. I feel like he saw it as what it was and was all like, nope. Wait, wait. I think wait. if you get off topic, cut slightly. Hear me out. What do you think about Rage getting back together and having ticket prices that are so fucking elitist? It's almost like only Hollywood's exclusive can make it to the fucking shows. What do you think about that? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. You know what? I, it, I mean, it's one of those things that help, makes me lose hope in the music industry altogether. It really does. I get that the idea is, look, 
the thing about the music industry right now is that you're not making money on albums and, and songs. What you make money on is concerts and touring, right? And it, it is expensive to make an album. So it, while you're touring, you're trying to make enough money to, to feed your family and pay your bills and no, make wait, another album. Wait, let me I, cut you off there. I have to. I'm sorry. I have to step in on this. That is true for a band that hasn't been at least a conversation for the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame type shit. That is no, no financing things, in my opinion, is no fucking excuse for people like Tom Morello and Zach De La Roche. Fuck that. Fuck that. All right. Fair enough. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just that I so desperately want a new Rage Against the Machine album. I know. Album I do too. That I'm willing to pay $180 for fucking nosebleeds I if it can't. means that I will get a fucking new Rage album about this gut. Never mind. No, the, only way I would do that, the only way I would pay that money for that is if there was a written agreement at the end that says you are personally financing Rage Against the Machine's upcoming album in 2024. I would sign no, that. No, no, no. No, 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 no. In 2020. Give it to me. I want it. I, I would want wait. it now. Wait, no, and I would be a fucking monsters left me alone during W and now here we are. I need Rage. Where the fuck are you? Yeah, well, honestly, I'm not going to make this political, but do they not have enough politics shit to talk about with uh, our... I know! That's our, what I'm saying! Our orange like, during W's reign, it, it's, this is not a referendum on W, but he just did enough dumb shit to where if you couldn't get a Rage album out of that, you're not paying attention. You know and, what I mean? And, and now, it's you could have made a new Rage album every year for the last three years. If Donald Trump is not the bat signal for Rage Against the Machine, then there isn't one. Right! I don't I don't get it no wait wait that's a great topic I want to but wait hear me out we can't have a conversation about side projects and not talk about Les Claypool and and his uh 27 and counting side projects if you took all of Les Claypool's side project bandmates and put them in a room together you'd have a small army a small army capable of invading a major city. Or playing the sickest show you've ever heard. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. You no. may have to have a big ass stage to get everybody on there. So Les Claypool has got, honestly, as big of a fan as as fanboy I am about Les Claypool, I cannot sit here and just name off his side projects. I can't. But I can drop a couple. Um, Give me a couple. A couple of them. And I know, uh, and I, I have to say this, and honestly, I don't think, I think they're all, I think everything Les Claypool does is a side project to Primus, right? Primus is big. Right. Right. Primus. Yeah. Big. No, I agree. And then I would say the second most powerful is probably his solo shit, which is just Les Claypool, right? Okay. Uh, then there is currently making albums and touring and doing shows. There is the Lennon Claypool Delirium, where he uh, is a singer songwriter with uh, Sean Lennon, son of John Lennon. Interesting. It's really good. It's definitely um, psychedelic music, but it's not so out there, spacey that you can't just listen to it and enjoy it. It's got, of course, it's Les Claypool, so it's got great rhythm, great beats, uh, and then it's really weird because they're both really into psychedelics. Okay. okay. And then hold on, well, you know a couple. You got one. I don't have to drop all these. Oh yeah, the Purple Onion Brigade. Yeah, well, it's no, it's what is it? There, it, that is such a long name. 
It's uh, it, it, I call I just call it the Purple Onion Brigade. It's, it's hold on, it's Colonel Claypool's Flying Frog Br- Brigade. Yeah, but the the name of the album is Purple Onion. Yes, right. And it's, so I've always just called it the Purple Onion Brigade because my dyslexic brain can bang it. Dude, is it weird that I think the song Purple Onion is so fucking weird that we shouldn't add it to our playlist that can be found on Spotify? Advanced listening gets updated every week. Season one, baby. Yes. I, I, yeah, that is a must. Okay, while you were, while you were talking, yeah, a thought hit me like a fucking Yoani Yunjaichek roundhouse kick to the face. Yeah. Do you want to know the ultimate side project that became the main project? What? Led Zeppelin. What? Was a side project from the Yardbirds. Really? Yeah. Are you sure about? Yeah, Jimmy Page and John Paul, the bassist, were in the Yardbirds, right? Hooked up with this crazy-ass drummer and started doing another band. And then they got this blonde kid to sing for them, right? And he's super hypersexual in the way. He kind of, like, fucked the microphone cord. It was weird. And they were told that this band would epically fail like a Led Zeppelin. Now, that last fact I totally knew about, which is what they, which I think is beautiful, by the way, for their name to have been permanent, by the way, and and come out of a place of people shunning them. Because taking taking American blues and applying your weird British rock to it is just not going to play. Plus, I love the fact that the the the, the name at the time, dude said it to him as an insult, like no, you're gonna fail like a Led yeah. Zeppelin. They were laughing, and they took face. that middle finger, put it on the front of their fucking logo of everything. They turned it into their middle finger to the world, and now the name Led Zeppelin is synonymous with greatness. And you know, it's dude. I didn't know it was psych- we, we, we should all be so lucky as to fail like Led Zeppelin. Right. And it, but if you honestly think about it, they did they took what the Beatles did and they were like, wait, 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 wait. Let's do this American music our way. And then look at this weird fucking loud fucking what's that uh uh what's that style of of mu- what's that style of singing? Um where is all up being like this? Oh, I, I, I have no idea. You're talking like Howlin' Wolf and shit like that, right? I can't. There's a name for it, and I cannot believe that that it's it's past. But anyway, you got this really cool, actually original music, and then you got this dude, this weird dude that wants to bang the microphone and wear spandex and bang everyone that's in front of him, male, female, doesn't matter. Just. Right? Look at my Super pocket. sexually androgynous, the bouncy, curly blonde hair, the unreal uh, depth of his and, voice. And you know, I hate to get too far into Led Zeppelin, but I think later in their career, they they definitely knew that and they embraced that. When you get songs like a Lemon oh, yeah. Song, like they um, also embraced the entire idea of Jimmy Page and the dark magic mysteries and the whether or not he's a dark wizard of the apocalypse. I mean, they 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 could have easily dispelled all those rumors, and they just let them fester brilliantly, and, and then it just added to the aura of that fucking band. That band is. I'm not. Even, I'm not even going to get into the ultimate free spirit that is John Bonham and his his caliber of drumming. Jesus Christ, Bonzo. Okay, but do you have a quick concert story for me? 
actually dude i do it's super quick though it really is quick but we're doing all this stuff about mudbane so it made me think about one of the times i saw mudbane live okay uh, um interesting enough he came out i don't remember who else is there it was like non-point and somebody else and anyway it's a good show uh but when chad showed up on stage this was after they weren't wearing makeup anymore they would just wear really crazy outfits and they were really into the dead man thing right okay this motherfucker walks out on stage in a bear suit like like a grizzly bear like okay but but like grr arg scary bear or like Winnie the Pooh cartoony bear. Like, he looked like a fucking grizzly bear. He had the head on and everything. And he did the first, like, he did, like, the first two or three songs with the head on. Nice. You couldn't even see Chad. It was like this giant grizzly bear running around on two legs doing amazing Mudbane songs. That's brilliant. So after a couple songs, he he rips the head off, and you can finally see his face, and it's kind of painted up, but there's sweat all over the place. And he acknowledged it. He was like, just so you know, only in Little Rock would I play for you fucking psychos in a bear suit. And everybody lost their shit. And he proceeded to play the rest of the show. I think he was naked under that suit, because he never came out of it. Nice. Anyway, that's that's a short concert story. Do you uh, do you want to do an earworm? Because I've got a good one. All right, I want you to do your earworm first because my set my earworm uh, has a bit of a setup to it. Go ahead. Okay, so my earworm is uh, short and quick. It's just one song uh, from a band called System of a Down. Uh, okay. I'm sure, you've heard of them once or twice, maybe. Once or twice, maybe. Um. My dad is not a big fan of that band, but that's not the point. Um, okay, there's a song they did called Metro, and I don't think it's on any of their studio albums. It might be on a compilation. Might be on a compilation album, right? It might be on some. It is. Uh, but it, I'm pretty sure they did it for a soundtrack. I don't remember which one. I, my instincts want to tell me Queen of the Dam, but I could be wrong. It's uh, not on the Queen of the Dam soundtrack. Okay. Um, but it's called Metro, and it's a cover from somebody. I don't know what it is, but you've definitely, I doubt many people have heard it. And if you haven't, you totally need to give it a listen. It is a really cool, uh, powerful, emotional feel. And it's also whenever that fucking guitar player shut his mouth all the time. Just shut up because he needs to shut up. So Fair enough. Metro, System of a Down. <laughs> system of a Down. Um, I I had system of I had to describe system of a down to somebody once and that's the, the, a really hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do. Okay, so this is what came out of my mouth, and I've been describing them as such ever since. Okay, I'm excited. System to hear of a down is hardcore punk rock polka for people with attention deficit hyperactive disorder on all the drugs. Uh, yeah, I'll second that. That's better than anything I could come up with. That is that's the best description I could give you for what System of a Down is. Pretty good. So here's my earworm. Yeah. Recently, recently, even despite being Mudvayne week and me listening to a lot of Mudvayne this week, I got to watch a friend of mine listen to one of my favorite albums for the first time. And watching his reaction to some of the songs on that album was, it was heartwarming and amazing 
and he listened to, and it, what was great was as he's listening to the album right he's like the first song clenching the fists of descent right because the album is is machine heads the blackening right it's like the first song is clenching the fists of descent he's like this is one of my favorite songs and then he gets the beautiful morning and he's like nope this is it and then aesthetics of hate and he's like this is this might be my favorite song and then you know by the fifth song, every song had been his favorite song, and then he got to the motherfucker of motherfuckers, the magnum opus of the Machine Head category uh, library of songs, a song that is truly unfucking real in its epicness, a song called Halo. This song is the definition of a song that takes you on a roller coaster, and his description of that song, a song that I've heard hundreds of times easily, you know what I mean? made me re-listen to it in such a different way with almost a new appreciation for a band that I've loved for decades. His description of it was, this is the most intricate band I have ever heard. I've never heard a band be, like the goddamn intricacies of this song, how you would be able to play this song live without sheet music in front of you would be amazing. And I've seen them play this song live six, seven times. Halo is, it's nine minutes long and it is a roller coaster of of crazy and the other song off that album that was truly amazing to watch him listen to for the first time was a song called a farewell to arms because it goes in directions you're not expecting it to go and if you want to talk about intricacy and just some of truly amazing drum work and guitar work a farewell to arms which is 10 minutes long and halo which is nine minutes long off of Machine Head's The Blackening. So if you're gonna go listen to these songs, there is no part of those songs where I can say, oh, this is the good part, this is, no. Cause you don't get to the good part unless you've listened to the six minutes that lead up to the good part. If you want to advance your listening, I mean, this is truly not entry level listening. This is advanced listening 303. You know what I mean? This is doctorate level listening. Goddamn Halo and a farewell to arms. Yeah, um, f- full disclosure, the that friend was me. We were video chatting while I was listening to this album. And uh, I definitely, it's not it's something I wasn't familiar with. And it was, it was like, it was like hearing one of the greatest bands you've ever heard for the first time. And what I mean by that is, of course, that's, that's a subjective opinion. And I get that. Uh, but I stand by what I said whenever I was like, this is without a doubt, the most coordinated, intricate band ever, ever heard. And I stand by the fact that I said, if I don't understand how they could like thoroughly play this song without having sheet music in front of them, because each song almost feels like it contains three or four different songs. And um, whenever you don't have something like that playing in the background, whenever you have something like that played right in front of you and you're paying attention to it, it is incredibly moving and fucking powerful and impressive. And it's not about what genre you if, if somebody can look at you and brush off any fucking track on that album and be like, I don't like metal. You don't like music. Um, yeah. That uh, it's, it's, it's orchestrated. It's in, it's in so impressive. It, 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 it's so impressive. Like you, you would almost expect uh, the fullness and the richness of, of that sound. You would you would expect there to be a conductor almost. You know what I mean? It's uh, it is beyond impressive, and I can't wait until we actually talk about uh, Machine Head as band because I definitely have a take on them. And by the time we get there, I will have listened to the library. So uh, stoked on that. Yeah. And that's how you advance your listening, bitches.